The Candid Frame is supported by donations by listeners just like you. Help support the show by clicking on the donate button on the website or in the show notes. This is Ibarian X, and this is The Candid Frame. Photography is often more about memory than it is art. While a clean composition and beautiful light are always welcome, the images that often mean the most to us often have very little to do with their aesthetic qualities. But then there are images that evoke memory, that tug on our sense of nostalgia, and that do possess that quality that elevate a snapshot into something special. They're images that, though they may not contain familiar faces, they still produce a connection to things past. At least that was my experience when looking at the photographs of Matt Sweeney, who in the span of a few short years in the early 80s captured a Hollywood that is raw, vivid, and beautiful. Made on Kodachrome film with a Nikon camera, these images reflect a time in the city where people actually walked in L.A., providing a sense of the city that seems incredibly elusive today. Matt has been sharing his images on Tumblr and caught the attention of several of you who suggested that I not only take a look at his work, but also consider him as a guest on the show. So for that, thank you very much, because I wouldn't have wanted to miss this. Yeah, I mean, when I took a look at those those photographs, I have to tell you, it it uh, struck home for me because that's the Hollywood I grew up with. Right on. Where were you living then? Uh, L.A. Yeah, my parents uh, grew up in South L.A. I uh-huh. mean, I grew up in South L.A. That's where we were raised. Uh-huh. And uh, I used to go to the Boys Club of Hollywood off right. of the Long Prey in St. Andrews, St. Andrews Place, not too far from far from where Freestyle Photo is. Uh-huh. And uh, when I first picked up a camera, it was the streets of Hollywood that I started you know, practicing photography. So that Hollywood is the Hollywood of my youth. It's the Hollywood that I remember. So I looked at those photographs and I go, yeah, that's that's a much different place than what it is now. So I, I really had a great appreciation for not only you capturing those photographs, but that they're so good. Thank you. That makes me so happy. It really does to hear that. It's it's awesome. Yeah, that that was a neat area. Dude. So did you used to buy stuff at Freestyle back then? Not not when I was a kid. I mean, freestyle wasn't even on my 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 radar because I I started photographing when I was like ten or something. Mm-hmm. So by the time I found out about freestyle, it was when I was at LACC in my early twenties. Yeah, what year would that have been? That would have been oh, something like eighty five. Uh huh. Uh huh. Yeah. So I was I would have been going there about eighty five, and then I was in the photo department and in the on the paper, and so at that point I kind of realize oh there's a there's a story here and there was simon's camera that was near me and uh you know and sammy's of course sammy's was, was kind of on a little on the pro level for me though whenever i used to go there yeah yeah but you know i took a look at those images especially with the kodachrome i just went oh yeah yeah that's that's just classic classic hollywood because now when people go to hollywood all they think about is hollywood and highland this one intersection yeah and yeah. you know the and the Hollywood I grew up with, I mean, it was crazy then, but it was like everything like from like Vine to, to Highland, that was a whole theater, that whole street up and down. Yeah. That was my shtick, man, was walking. I, that, I mean, I would walk 
from Hollywood and Vine. Well, actually, Lillian you know, Block earlier down at Pantages Theater. Okay, yeah. Block all the way down to Grumman's, basically. Yeah, it was a blast. I mean, I, I'd lived up here. Can I just say a couple things? Uh, yeah, yeah, go ahead. Historical placement kind of. So uh, I was living up here in the Bay Area, and I dropped out of high school because of girlfriend stuff. And so that was like going to a Catholic boys school and the priest had come to the gas station where I was working during the day and they'd, uh, you know, give me a hard time about, uh, dropping out for this girl and stuff. Right. And, uh, so, she, so I finally didn't know what to do with myself though. And so I applied to this, uh, Francis Ford Coppola film school thing he was going to have, uh, up here based out of this, that cool kind of flat iron looking building in San Francisco and Columbus down near uh, North beach and everything. And it's it a really trippy, triangular, uh, old, you know, hundred year old building, uh, with rickety old elevator. Anyway, so that, that's where they were and, and they accepted me, but then they decided not to have it and they were going to move the whole studio from up here down to, uh, Los Angeles and Hollywood. So they said, you could apply in a year. So my girlfriend at the time was going to high school too. And she applied, uh, for UCLA. So we moved down there, found a place up in the Hollywood Hills, um, on Beachwood, off Beachwood up uh, in Hollywood land. Okay. Yeah. And so I was going to like wait and, you know, go to this Francis Ford Coppola school if I could get in. I didn't even know about financing because I'd run away from home because my parents were uh, pretty strongly Catholic and they were going through their own seventies stuff. And so, so I had bought a camera though when I dropped out with my gas station money because I was pumping gas and I, I, that's what I brought down with me. And so just with like a, a 50 and uh, so we moved down there. We found an apartment up there in uh, Beachwood Canyon, and I'd ride the bus mostly. And so I'd ride the bus. You go down and transfer at Hollywood and Vine. And uh, I finally got a job working at Frank's Camera out in Highland Park. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I worked there for for uh, a couple of years, and that's where you know, of course, you're a clerk. You're not uh, doing photography so much. But I met my friend Tony Zarate there. He's like, I know you got some, uh, don't you have some Cal Arts or something connection to? Uh, I teach at uh, Art Center College of Design. Well, so Art Center, I, right, right. Yeah. So he, he, he went, he got in there. He was a clerk with me in the store and he got in there and he was living in, you know, East LA. So it was really fun. So it was like, he, we'd go at night sometimes, eventually we'd ride the bus or eventually I got a moped and I'd go pick him up in East LA. And we'd go to his house and, you know, I'd meet all his family and cousins. As soon as you get within a couple blocks of his house, everybody's waving and stuff. He's on the back of the moped, this tall guy, big afro. Anyway, he got in Cal Arts. We used to go out shooting a lot together. And uh, he, on his on his first year at Cal Arts, he fell off of a cliff in Kings Canyon taking pictures with his brother. Oh, and uh, so he's my first really good friend. And I, you know, I took a lot of pictures with him. We used to go on Hollywood Boulevard sometimes together. So he's kind of like, anyway, Tony Zarate, man, he was the nicest guy, made friends with everybody. And I just wanted to call out to him. So I just shoot. And, you know, when I moved to LA, everything looks so different to me. You like, it wakes you up to move, I think, to the environment. And yeah. so the whole place looked this certain kind of fresh. And I'd been changed from all my habits and from my youth, you know, ran away from home, no support from anybody, didn't have a job. I'd work out at Frank's, you know, a lot of times six days a week, transferred Hollywood and Vine. And in the, and I hated the winter because it was dark, right? But in the summer, uh, you get those long afternoons. I could get back to Hollywood Boulevard in time to shoot that golden hour um, shit. And so I just walk up and down Hollywood Boulevard and I was, you know, 17, 19, something, you know, 20 in there. And I wasn't getting into this film school. So I, like, I wanted to have some kind of you know, greatness about my life. Right. You know, like that kind of thing where you're mm -hmm. trying to create something or, 
or do as good as someone else that's well known or something. So, so let me just understand. So had you had you left home when you were were you living with your girlfriend? You had already like yeah, run away so from when home. I was, when I was when I was seventeen, I just like you know my parents were go to you know like my dad went to uh, Loyola down there. Yeah, uh-huh. and then he went into the Navy studied chemistry and stuff, you know, on the Navy thing and, and did chemistry in the Navy. And my mom went to, to Marymount or whatever. Right. Yeah. Right. And yeah. so I was supposed to do that kind of thing. And so I was going to this Jesuit school. They made me cut me, but at the time I went in and, you know, I had long hair, I was doing the yearbook in the junior high and doing the pinhole cameras. And I mean, I was a smart kid. I did a lot of computer stuff even back then in the seventies and, and different things, but I really liked this art thing. My parents were like, that's just, you know, screwing around. And you know, between that and that I basically got busted for premarital sex when I was 17 by my mom. I mean, not busted in the act, but, you know, busted. And and uh, so that caused all these problems because the Catholic upbringing. Oh, yeah. And, and the priests were coming down on me really hard, too, at school about it, you know, because they found out. And so it was like... Uh, kind of a drag. And and so I ran away from home for, for true love and got an apartment in downtown San Jose. I just like didn't even tell my parents anything, just, you know, piled the shit up wow. um, that I wanted and and took off. And, and, and they were going through so much that, you know, they knew through my brother and sister that I was around, but, you know, they were just like, screw it. Because I'd been pretty bad up to then in different ways, you know, not really bad, but, you know, getting in trouble for stupid screwing around stuff. Anyway, so I moved down to LA and everything's, you know, I'm, I'm shooting on the, on the way home and on the way, uh, way to work and working in the camera stores and getting to meet photographers and stuff. And that was my deal. And I, I didn't have a dark room. So the Kodachrome was my thing, you know, cause you, you, you get that film with the mailers, you mail it in and they mail it back to your house. You don't have to do anything. And, and you'd have your film back. And the only thing was it was expensive for me because it was seven bucks a roll or something, yeah, I think, uh-huh. with processing back then. And I don't know what I was making working at Frank's camera, but it was like three bucks an hour or something, I think. So when you were photographing, you, you were just kind of photographing just for your own pleasure as a, as a way of you know creating stuff? You didn't have any particular aspirations in terms of what you wanted to do with it? You know, I was working six days a week and it was... When I rode the bus, it was like two hours each way, plus, you know, uh, through downtown. So I'd ride that bus um, from my house down to Hollywood and then from Hollywood to downtown L.A. and from downtown L.A. to Pasadena. Right. And that's like a hunk of time. So I'd read a lot of philosophy and, and art books on the bus. And then, um, and while I'm waiting for the bus, right, because they don't come, you're waiting an extra hour. <laughs> and I just shot for, for, to create art. Like I wanted to create art, like the great artists in photography that I knew. So that was my goal. And the Kodachrome gave me the chance to, you know, you'd, you'd shoot, you'd mail it in, the slides had come back. And it's like today where you're chimping on the screen. I'd just look at the slides to the light and go, okay, I'm hitting it. Or, you know, my focus, I'm not doing the zone focus thing or, or that shot I thought I got, I didn't get it. Or I, I, I got where I could just, um, I'd shoot with a handheld meter a lot too, eventually. Um, cause my meter broke on my Nikon. So I just, um, I did that. I got an old, I got an old, uh, Sekonic 398 incident. And then I, I eventually got a spot meter too. And, and, but, but even, but what really happened was, is, is if you, you shoot a Hollywood Boulevard a lot, or I mean, I guess anywhere, if you shoot a lot manual, um, you just get to know the light and what the exposures are and, mm-hmm. and how to shoot. But that was like the technical part. The hard part for me too, was I was a little bit shy. So the activity of 
And this was the other thing of being on the street and trying to get those Gary Winogrand kind of, uh, you don't know, Eugene Smith, uh, the, you know, just get this uh, images of people um, without posing them on the street. So, so that I be, sort of developed a philosophy about non-interference in a way. And, and that involved like, I, I, almost like I couldn't move a cigarette butt or a piece of trash sometimes, you know? Um, and then sometimes I go, no, 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 I could do that. But, but, but usually I didn't. So the whole thing was about making, you know, the, the painterly image that matched a lot of the greats I knew. I mean, I was, and I had the feedback loop with the slides and, and, and I'm working six days a week as a clerk in a camera store for Frank, which is like its whole other world of story about working in the camera stores, you know? And I worked at freestyle after that. I, I quit Frank's twice, twice, three times, three times. If you count the time, you count the time because Frank and Vera were the two owners and they would argue over stuff. I'd, uh, was running the film counter and where you got to order the film and paper and that covers for the mail or they were big mail order house at the time, the back of popular photography, Frank's camera was. And, yeah, and so that. you're getting the phone calls from all over everywhere. Plus the people in the store and you're having to order. And then they also do uh, camera repair. I did that and the darkroom department. So kind of like half the store. Um, and then the other half was, was, uh, all the camera sales that were, you know, 95% of the, the income for the business. I mean, the darkroom and film and repair department, you know, really didn't bring in very much income or customers, um, by comparison. Um, cause it was kind of the, you get the Pentax K 1000, you know, or whatever with its, it's standard lens. You know, the big decision is if you're getting the one eight or the one four or something. So, so what, what, what did you do? What led you to quit those multiple times? You just get kind of, well, yeah. Okay. So it was, it was, it was a four and a half hour drive in the bus. Eventually I got a moped, which one day was taken apart while it was locked in front, front of Frank's camera by this <sighs> little kid who I collared and the police came and anyway, anyway, so, so it was like a kind of a nightmare to get there and do it. And I just had this decision, like, you know what? As much as I can try to take pictures in the summer, I'm just stuck in this, you know, six days a week. You work the extra six day because you make overtime compared to your, you know, so now you're going from three something to what, five or six something. Mm -hmm. And, 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 you know, where's my life really going now? You know, I wasn't getting hooked up with that Francis Ford Coppola thing. I dug around trying to find out about it a couple of times, couldn't find anything. I'm like, now what am I going to do? I'm a high school dropout. My girlfriend's going to graduate from UCLA. I got to do something, you know? And so I'd, I'd quit. And just try to do something else. And then I couldn't find anything else. And I'd go back, you know, and, and got a job at Freestyle. It was a closer commute. And uh, I worked for those guys. It was uh, a real interesting family ran it. Uh, I got to meet Angeline, that Hollywood starlet lady or oh, something, yeah. come in and buy stuff, as well as all a bunch of great black and white photographers that, you know, teach the four by five black and white classes and stuff. Did you find that your photo education came from just looking at great work and getting feedback from these photographers or, or how did you develop your, your eye? Cause I look at those pictures and it looked, even though you were fairly, you know, really relatively young, it seemed like you really developed an eye rather quickly. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that gets back to, I'm a smart guy. I mean, I'm, I'm like, I was precocious in, in my uh, reading skills and stuff like that. I was adopted. I don't know what it was, but I just, I, I really, my parents were both into education and it just, it was like all about reading and it was before a lot of TV and stuff. So I'd done that. And then as a kid growing up, I mean, I, 
I was setting up dark rooms as a little kid and, you know, making a crystal radio sets and, you know, wacky shit. Like, you know, you'd go to the library and find out how to do something and then you'd figure out if you could do it. It'd never be as cool as the book, but you know, it, it would be something. So the, the developing the eye was just my own critique. Cause like no one really looked at my pictures hardly. I did meet this one on the bus sometimes in the morning, there was a woman who worked at this place. Um, it, back in the day, uh, the stock photo houses, there were a lot of places that did those AV presentations and they were done with panels of, uh, Kodak, um, ectograph slide projectors. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and they you know, with the auto program and it would go with the music. So every time general motors needed a show, they'd, uh, you know, hire, you know, one of these guys and they, you know, 10,000 bucks or whatever you, you get your little show uh, that would show at the trade show. So these, this company made those kind of things. And, uh, and this woman worked there as a photo editor or something. And so she had me bring my, a stack of my stuff in and they liked it and uh, went through it, bought a few things, but I didn't get a lot of feedback in general. You know, it was kind of just something I did on my own, which is weird, but but it's, and that's been hard because I tried, I tried going to a, uh, so Tumblr's like my first public kind of presentation of this amongst people in my family. If you have seen it, yeah. you know, some people in my family don't even want to look, you know, take the time to look, you know, Tumblr has been it. And then I went to one of those portfolio review things recently and, and that was interesting too, just in terms of how, so for so long, not integrating external feedback into my photographic process and, and, and to now go searching for it and kind of look for it as a way to kind of develop from, like, I got all these images. So what, you know what I mean? Like yeah. I get feedback from you and other people that are like, this is cool. I really like um, your work or like seeing this time. You know, what's your motivation? Why should I make new work? What is the new work in, in the place of all the other works that are out there and, and done? It's, it's, it's just an, it's been it's been wild. You know, you, you probably way more savvy about it having taught photography, but, um, for, from not having gone through the education process, it's, it's been weird. So, you know, what happened? So you were there, your, your, your girlfriend graduates UCLA, yeah. you know, you're working there, you're not pursuing an education yourself. You're not getting into this film program, right. you know, you're going out and you're making pictures, but you're not really getting any feedback or guidance. So, so what happens at that, at that point? Well, what happens for me is, um, is I just kept trying and trying, but I couldn't figure out a way to get my work. I mean, I just, I just couldn't leverage myself from creating the work to how do I monetize it? You know what I mean? Yeah. Mm-hmm. How do I monetize that process? So I did a couple things where I tried assisting with photographers. And then meanwhile, my girlfriend's about finished graduating with honors from UCLA. And we were, you know, we'd been together since we were 15 16. Yeah. And you know, and now she's happening and I'm high. So, so now here she is graduated with honors UCLA in chemistry and I'm a high school dropout, you know, and, and stuff happened between us that led to me moving back up to here, uh, up to here from closer to mostly my family and friends I grew up with. Yeah. And so I had some friends in downtown San Jose who, uh, his mom was, uh, I don't want to say a slumlord, but she was kind of a slumlord. And so she gave him, she gave him one of the houses or rented it in, in downtown San Jose. And so we lived there in, through the eighties. And, you know, I worked probably 13 jobs over a couple of years. I mean, a whole variety of things. I was a tax driver. And at that point I was so impoverished basically that, that I sold my camera equipment. And a lot of times it would be to the guy I was living at his house. You know, he was into photography a little bit. So I'd be like, okay, 
you can have my 35 millimeter lens for January and February's rent or something, you know, like that kind of thing. So eventually I, uh, ended up with like almost nothing in terms of equipment and, and I didn't have the money to shoot. So, so there's this pretty decent gap in there where, where I didn't shoot for a while because of that. So then after that, I went, I, I, uh, having been a cab driver a bunch, that was really great for stories. Like I got endless stories about being a cab driver in San Jose and, and I started going to school and I just went back to school at San Jose city college, never graduated from high school and just ch- chunked away at it while flipping burgers and stuff, you know, living in places in downtown San Jose. Eventually I had enough, uh, units to transfer to a four year and I, and I ended up getting a degree in biology and chemistry and worked in labs mostly. So, so why biology and chemistry? I mean, you had, you yeah. had, you had this interest in photography, you had, you know, right. you, you had not succeeded in monetizing it, but you seem no. to have had a, you know, you're acclimated to it. Why, why the choice to study biology? Was well, it a practical you know, reason? It was, that gets back to the thing I was saying about how I was smart. Like, oh, when I was in school, when I was in school, they put me in a, um, like they, they didn't even have me, like I hardly went to school and I went to public school in San Jose growing up and I was just like really smart. I could finish my assignments really fast. So they'd, they'd, uh, they'd put me um, in the library and shit like that and just be like, go to the library and uh, come back at the end of the day for like the art project or something, you know, or PE. And, uh, Oh, and another thing I did, I used to sit in the, um, they used to put me in this old auditorium. It was like a turn of the century school that's now torn down, but it had one of those actual auditoriums with a stage and curtains and everything for the elementary school. They put me in one of the rooms backstage with a reel to reel. And I'd read books for uh, book, kids books for deaf, uh, for blind people. Mm-hmm. And, and that was like what I did for school. So I, like, I already always had that as an underlying uh, thing. And like my girlfriend went to UCLA in chemistry. So I like my mind thinks about things. I mean, my dad was a chemist. And so I kind of got raised thinking about molecules and stuff like that. You know, it's always been a part of my experience of the world. And so, you know, and whatever discipline that photography thing I got about kind of like you were saying about how, how'd you develop your eye? It's like, well, that's kind of like being in the lab. It's like to be good in the lab, you have to kind of critique yourself all the time as you're doing something like, you know, or, and that's a good artist skill. You probably learn as you develop yourself as an artist is to, you got to be on yourself and be like, why do I like this? What don't I like? What worked in that work I just did? What didn't work? What did I, you know, want to want to create more of? And so that's that whole scientific process basically. You know, I just flashed on it. I When we were down in Los Angeles, I started going to, when I grew up in terms of music, I'd, I'd see a lot of music in Hollywood at the time. And there was a great place to live because you could see people at the Whiskey and the Roxy. Yeah. And I mean, just crazy amounts of music. And so I, I was listening to stuff along the lines of King Crimson, shoot, Oingo Boingo, Grace Jones, the a little bit of ska and some reggae. And that was like from a variety of my friends that there was some club. I, I, I can't remember what the name of it was, maybe the on club. And they used to just put on all kinds of reggae and ska, ska shows. We go to that a lot and we go see shows at the Palladium, but eventually I started getting into the grateful dead, which I'd never seen. One of my friends from LA took me to a, a Las Vegas show in the early eighties. I don't know. I think it was at one of the grateful dead concerts. I was thinking about, uh, just how the part of me that thought about molecules wasn't really getting utilized very much. And whereas the artistic part was, and I think that's been this kind of problem I've had is 
you know, working in the lab, I mean, despite the creativity, I mean, it's getting more accepted if you've kind of to be different. But in general, through most of my laboratory career, there's a real conservatism and, and a not so much an artistic nature to the, uh, you know, chemical pursuits or whatever. You go to a chemist convention, it's like, oh, God. And uh, I mean, it's great if you want to talk chemistry and there's great guys and the whole thing. I mean, you can't paint anything with a brush, but, it, it, you know, so there's that kind of thing. It's, it's And then the same thing is where I've lived. It's like I've lived in East San Jose a lot where uh, – you know, people would say stuff like, I can't believe a white guy on the east side um, kind of stuff to me. And and then I've, you know, moved to another side of town where it's like the rich executive people live and I'm, you know, uh, you know, don't fit in there either. And so, um, you know, I look more like some of those guys, but um, but that's not really, you know, my aesthetic either. And so, yeah. So anyway, so that's kind of been, you know, a, a little bit about me. I don't know. I'm just rambling right now. No, that's cool. That's cool. How, how did you start getting back into photography? Ah, so I finally, you know, so basically it was financial, right? Because it's not a cheap thing when you're shooting film. And so I'd always wanted to shoot a larger format film. So I started working a lab job you know, gradually started being able to save up a little money on the side, which I had not been able to do while I'm going to school and doing all this stuff. So early nineties, you know, and I'd always be picking up people's 35 millimeters and my girl, you know, uh, girlfriends at the time would have a camera and I, I just blow through rolls on that. And a lot of that film, you know, ended up with other people. The, I finally got a film camera. I bought a two and a quarter, um, in like the very early nineties and started shooting again. And so it's been as, and as I've gone through my career, the times when I can't get a lab job is, you know, when I do a lot more. So, so lately, like this Tumblr things happened since, uh, I've been laid off a couple of, you know, like three times. And so each of those kind of gaps where you're looking for work is, you know, an opportunity to do something. And as I kind of looked at what I had opportunities to do, I mean, one thing is, I mean, those Hollywood pictures are some of, because they incorporate the historical context yeah. as well as the artistic, for me at least, that that is the, you know, was my obvious candidate to try to work through and start scanning those. So I, I learned, you know, got a scanner and just started scanning. And also realizing that although the Kodachromes are stable, they're going and just, you know, having people in my life die too, I think real, made me realize and, and, you know, people in my family, I'm going through their stuff after they pass away and just realizing kind of the, the, the weird human tendency to, uh, you know, bestow meaning in things while you're alive, but when you're gone, there's no meaning. So I kind of realized that, you know, all these Kodachromes in these boxes are going to, you know, what's going to happen to them when I pass away, you know? And so I guess I intended them to be works of art. So I just thought, you know, I'm going to put them out there and see what happens. Maybe nothing will, or maybe, you know, I'll get to have interviews with people like you and stuff like that. You know, you speak to a great point because I've gone to like estate sales and I see images, boxes of images, everyone's sort of ignoring them. And I look at that and I just go, all that, all that stuff is just kind of lost. It's just a box of slides or prints to everyone else. But there was a whole life behind it. So yeah. I completely, I completely get that. And, and I think one of the things that why your images speak to me is because even though I was, you know, I had a camera when I was a kid, I, I didn't photograph to, to the extent that I wish I had photographed. No. 
And so when I look at your pictures, I see a part of my life and at a particular time that even though I'm not in those photographs, even though I don't recognize those people in the photographs, there's a feeling to those images that yeah. captures something of what my experience was. So I think uh, for me, that's why they resonate, resonate for me. In, in the feedback that you've gotten to those postings, what things have you heard about those photographs beyond people saying they like the way they look? Well, it's been mostly, there's been people who like the historical element. I, a couple times, um, they've got a, they got on the Atlantic, uh, the Atlantic Monthly Review, whatever. Mm -hmm. So, so some people, you know, they, they, it's interesting because there's a certain PR element about the vision of Hollywood. And I noticed like one of my friends was having a discussion with me about how some of the Eastern European and Russian people more, a lot of these images got um, a lot of play and, you know, Poland and Belarus and stuff like that. Yeah. And, and how, you know, their imagery, that's imagery running counter to the PR machine that supports Hollywood as being, you know, Hollywood. And so to have this image of kind of a, a darker America. And I mean, that was the time of Reagan, right? And um, the draft had just started and it was the whole trickle down uh, economic thing started getting spit out. And, uh, oh, and Reagan had put out, you know, they closed the, um, and this I always want to say, cause I think it's uh, important for some of the people in my pictures. And that's that, you know, they, they closed in California, the, uh, the mental health facilities. Right. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that happened right around then. And, and these people that formally were supported by the state, you know, um, ended up on the streets as a lot of the street people and they were preyed upon by people. They experienced violence they had health problems. I mean, everyone, I'm not going to go into talking about that, except, I mean, that was what that time was. And so I had relationships with a variety of people that are probably not around anymore and and probably had mental health um, issues more than the average person does and uh, that, that lived on the street down there. And some of them let me photograph them and, uh, and they were really cool. And I, I spent a lot of time with some of the subjects in some of my pictures. Yeah, because it, it wasn't as, as prevalent as it is now. You know, you have so many people who have mental health issues, who have drug issues, combination of the two. Yeah. And, you know, especially in, in parts of, you know, Hollywood and downtown LA and other spots, you know, you see a lot of it, but there is, it was fairly rare. I mean, Hollywood, Hollywood was still weird, but, yeah. Yeah. but it was weird in a variety of different ways. I mean, you had like the, the punk culture, you had the new wave culture, you had, you know, guys who had been there from the thirties and the forties that were still linking around. And, you know, it was, it was, yes, you had Hollywood that was showcased in TV and film, and then you had the real Hollywood. Yeah, the city. Yeah, yeah, the city itself. And that's what I think you captured so wonderfully in, in your photographs. When you started putting them up on, on Tumblr, were you surprised by the reaction you started getting to the photograph? I, I mean, you hear me say stuff about myself, like, I'm smart, I'm this, you know, I'm that. I mean, I got a, a reasonable, you know, healthy ego or something like that. But it's like, I thought, like, these are great pictures. And and I'd seen a lot of these works of people who are, you know, famous and die. Who's the uh, the nanny, Vivian? Uh, Vivian Meyer. Yeah. Mm -hmm. and, and, and people like that. And I just kind of said, you know, 
I mean, some of these works are great. Maybe their works better than mine. I mean, one comment I got uh, that I think was one of my favorites of my comments um, was uh, uh, their sub Winogran, but they're good sub Winogran, and that's harder to do than it looks. <laughs> yeah, I definitely would take that as a compliment. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. that was my favorite one. But but I but I didn't really. You know, but, but it took a really long time. Like I, I've got a hundred, I mean, I've got like 500 followers now on Tumblr mm-hmm. and, and that's actually an interesting thing too. And it took a long time. It took me over a year to get that, you know, and I did some lobbying. I got a lot of help from, uh, um, you know, blogs like photographs on the brain and mm-hmm. a bunch of other ones where, you know, you go around and you pitch yourself. Right. So I, I would go around and I just submit to a lot of these to try to get, my work on their sites and get more, you know, and then use tags and all that kind of stuff. And I'd get a real buzz, but I mean, there was a long period, you know, I mean, a long period, I'm only having like 20 people on there or something. Yeah. And that's just weird. Why are you doing it? And, and, and I still wonder, you know, even with 500 and, and that's my other issue is, is it's, it's, it's been neat. Cause I get to now look at the people who follow me and reblog my pictures and try to understand how they're using that image in terms of whatever their story is kind of, you know? Yeah. And it's been a little bit of a temptation to want to play to that and edit to that. And, and that's interesting to me too, because I'm not sure that's like, I didn't start out to do this so that I could populate, you know, 16 to 20 year old girls web pages, which is, I got to say a lot of my stuff goes on there, you know, um, as, and, and I don't mean like, but not like girl photographers necessarily. They're like, or girl, they're like, you know, the kind of the, where you structure your identity and things you like, by the way, oh, your yeah, Tumblr Pinterest. Pages or something. Yeah. I think like Pinterest, I think is one of those. Yeah, sites, kind of yeah. that Pinterest style. Yeah. And, and so I've got some stuff that appeals on that. And it's interesting to me because I've got some stuff that I think is really nice work and it'll get like six likes or four likes or one like, right. And, and then other stuff that I think is like average, but it fits some of the parameters of the uses for that kind of stuff. And, you know, it goes up to like a thousand. I mean, I don't think I've had one that gone through a thousand yet. Oh, that's another interesting thing. So I posted some pictures of, uh, going to a Grateful Dead concert on the, uh, on the archive for the Grateful Dead at UC Santa Cruz. I just kind of donated it to it, to them there. So people could, you know, have them as part of the archive and somebody found them on there and that got. 8,000, you know, on their Tumblr page and it doesn't, you know, it doesn't reference back to me at all or anything. And again, that was for the purpose of, you know, it's, it was a romantic image, you know? And, and so it was used, it felt like it was used more like a greeting card almost, you know, in that context. When Although you, I'm not sure, go ahead. When you started going through the images to scan them, had, had it been a while since you took a look at those photographs? You know, yes and no. I've gone through them a lot of times because I really care about them. So it wasn't a situation where I just had a big archive and I went through with a current eye and pulled stuff out. I mean, most all the ones that are on there that are like good or whatever from the Hollywood batch, I knew were good like almost as soon as I shot them. You know, they they immediately kind of went into this category. I'd, I'd buy these um, those black cardboard things that slid in the sleeve that you yeah. slide your slides mm-hmm. into. Mm-hmm. So I kind of had like a slide portfolio of my best ones. And so those ones always kind of stayed that way. But that said, it's a really, I mean, I don't know if it's a giant archive, but 
I mean, I shot hundreds and hundreds and, you know, I mean, I shot a lot of film and, and that was the other thing is I, I, I can't believe I managed to keep it and keep it reasonably intact because I, you know, it's stored like in old suitcases that I bought at a Goodwill when I moved up here. So most of it's in that kind of stuff. Yeah. And, uh, and so I've gone through and transferred everything to, um, good, uh, archival pages but but the editing process is 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 interesting because I keep coming back around through it and finding new stuff as I as I do it. What's interesting about your photographs is is how effectively you use color. And I think that at the time, most people who were like practicing photography on a regular basis uh, were primarily you know doing black and white because they would have their own labs. It was it wasn't very common for people to be using color in a sort of fine art creative way. Unless I love that you said that. I love that because that is, I think, I, what's really significant about about my work for me, and and no one's ever told me that before. So I really oh. that makes me feel great. No, no, because it, it's it's one of the things that makes it stand stand out. Not just the fact that you're using Kodachrome, yeah. but the fact that you use the color palette so effectively. Um, you have those images of the two women in red at the Rose Bowl parade. Yeah, yeah, I mean yeah, that that yeah. shot just sings. I mean, not only the two women there, but you also have that figure in, the, in sort of in the middle ground who also is wearing the guy red, in the and, red jacket with a hat. Yeah, yeah, and I'm like going, I'm looking at that shot, and and that's actually on the. I live on Fair Oaks up in Altadena, uh-huh. and so I know that intersection. So I, I get to Very see, cool. I get to see what that street was like back back then because I, I didn't didn't make it to to Pasadena very very often when I was a kid. But but I look at that shot and I go, wow, the way you're using color is just, just great. Because there are some photographers who are out there shooting film in this kind of way, especially like with street stuff, but there weren't a whole lot. No. You know? There were, hard, there were very few. I mean, there's that guy that shot, he was like a businessman and he used to shoot on his business trips. Um, he's got some good stuff. I wish I could remember his name. Um there's um, one guy out there. I think he's the guy that in the bookstore at uh, Cal Arts, George Porcari, or something like that. Okay, yeah, I'm not familiar with the name. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's got some really good stuff. A lot of Venice too, and um, he shot some color. And and I think he's the books the um, books one of the bookstore guys uh, at the school. I'm, oh, okay. I'm, I've emailed back and forth with him because I like his stuff. And but no, there's hardly any. And um, you know, it's I guess the only it would be like the national geographic life photographer type people, right? That's it. Exactly. And, and I think that was actually something else is between album cover art, like that company hypnosis that did album covers in the seventies a lot. Mm-hmm. And they used photography creative with a lot of cut and paste stuff and things. And I think they were like a thing that I was kind of had this vague goal to be that or a vague goal to be like a national geographic or life. So in a way I was like not in the safari in Africa, I was like, you know, shooting Hollywood Boulevard, which is where I lived. Did you ever uh, reconcile, with, reconcile with your parents? Yeah. Me and my mom get along great now. Eventually, while I was living in, um, you know, and she still gives, well, anyway, I won't go into that because she's still around. But, but, uh, but yeah, she's, she's a really neat woman. She's, she's still doing stuff uh, around children. She's gotten really far in her uh, understanding, like the conflict, well, you know, like she grew up just like I did, you know, right. There's been some rough times with my mom. Eventually, eventually when I was going to college after her and my mom divorced, she was living alone. 
Um, I moved back in with her for a couple of years before I gra- finally graduated. And that gave us a, a, a kind of a chance to spend time without a lot of other family things going on, yeah. you know, when we did. And, and we got to know each other pretty well. And my dad, my dad, my dad always had a pretty rich life, especially after he divorced or before he too. I mean, I don't say it's that big a difference, but, um, we, when he got old, I'd spent more time with him. Um, he lived, um, over in Santa Cruz and he just passed away a couple of years ago and I was unemployed at the time. So I went over and, and actually those are a bunch of stuff I want to scan and look at is, uh, is he went into hospice care. So, you know, they, they put you back in your home. And so I stayed with him and took care of him for a long time. And, and before that I'd been supporting him, you know, he was in his eighties and, going over and visiting him all the time. And, and, uh, and so, yeah, so he, my dad never really wanted so much to look at my pictures, which is weird. Cause you're like, you want this approval from your parents yeah, and your yeah. dad. And, you know, I think he was proud of me in a way too, but that was always an interesting thing. Like my feelings about that, you know, and, and why that is and what that is and how that affects your artistic process and everything like that. It's, it's an interesting thing. Yeah. Did, did your mom get what you were doing or does she look at the photographs? As- yeah, she, she does to some degree. I think to both of them, there's an element like to me, some of the great stuff there, there's an element of like, that's ugly things you're taking a picture of. Why would you take a picture of an ugly thing? Yeah. And, and I mean, that's kind of the commercial in terms of monetization of that work. I mean, that's the problem with that too. I mean, I mean, I've got some beautiful pictures of a dog shit, you know, but, but, but who is going to buy that? for what you know yeah so i mean if you work in some of these areas as an artist i guess you just got to accept like there's a limited marketability or something you know or or how you leverage it you know what's it going to be in a perfect world what would you like to happen with the work you know i don't know that's why i went to this uh, portfolio review to try to figure out to talk to some people who know um because i'm thinking like what could i what could I do with this body of Hollywood work? You know, do I do a book? Do I do a blurb thing? Do I, um, uh, do I print stuff? Do, you know, do I, do I go through this route? What is, what, what is the gallery show? You know, do you do that? You try to get that. Yeah. So I'm just not really certain what's supposed to be done with it. So, so right now I'm kind of in this mode of, of like, I don't really know what my next step is with this. And, I'm not really, I'm not really sure. I'm not really sure what I'm supposed to do. Keep scanning. And, um, and then, and then I also, I guess I, my old stuff is so popular and, and, you know, as an artist, you're kind of mining an old theme. So I'm, I end up being a technician in terms of, you know, an editor, editor and everything, of course, too, but to pull out some of this old stuff and present it. Whereas I actually have a body. I now have an incredible body of uh, two and a quarter work, um, in terms of number of slides and, and, uh, negatives that are not even scanned and, or, you know, and, and I don't even print anymore. And so, um, I mean, I, I do print still, but I don't print each frame. I just get the negatives developed and then scan what I like. But, but there's a backlog of that. I just, it's so time consuming and that I'm really wondering about my whole, I'm kind of jammed by my whole analog workflow. Yeah. Yeah. I can only imagine. I mean, there's, I I have God knows how many, decades of, of film that never got scanned yeah and just the idea of having to return to that them. other thing about it ends up in the garage right yeah <laughs> unfortunately so I what mean, is I have, that and and it's just you know and meanwhile you it's like 
if you're shooting the C41, that the time's ticking, right? I mean, yeah. that's shifting as it sets. Yeah, I don't know. And a lot of the interests in your stuff are, are people, are young photographers who have picked up film in an age of digital. Um, yes. Tell me about, you know, the kind of feedback or reactions you get from them. Yeah, I mean, that's been, I, I got to say, that's been most of my feedback. I mean, I'm really excited that you called me because you're, you know, your attention's a more mature attention, a more educated in, in art world attention. And so it's more, you know, I don't want to say it's more valuable, but it's, it's kind of what I'm looking for more, right? When yeah. I'm doing this. And so, no, it's been neat to talk. I mean, the enthusiasm of some of the kids for stuff, you know, and some of my followers, you know, I think some of my most dedicated followers are, are 16, 18 year olds that are also, I mean, I talked about the ones that aren't photographers, kind of the Pinterest thing, but there's also, yeah, like you said, this group of film photographers that are pretty young, really enthusiastic, shoot like crazy, super supportive on Tumblr. And, and that's just neat, you know, and, and they'll write me and ask me about film and I'll tell them something, you know, and, and I mean, I tell them what I know, I tell them whatever they ask on, um, I'm surprised people are still doing it. It's neat that it's, you know, this vintage retro thing kind of, I don't know what to say. It's, well, it's, I, uh, cool. I'm glad I got the opportunity to, to get turned on to it and to be able to share it with, with people who listen to the, to the show. Cause I think it's, I think it's wonderful work, not just because it's, it, you know, creates some sentimentality on my part, but just because I think there really are some great, great photographs there. And I hope that people who listen to this, you know, take a beeline to, to, to your Tumblr site and take a, Take a look at it because there's this just wonderful, wonderful stuff there. And yeah, thanks, thanks for putting hit, it out there. Hit, hit the archive. That's so sweet of you to say that, and it's so sweet of you to um, reach out to me and, and call and stuff. And and yeah, it's been fun doing it. And if uh, people have ideas about uh, what the hell I should do with this, uh, let me know. Give me a suggestion. All my contact information's out there. And the last question I always ask is, I ask my guests to recommend another photographer for our listeners to discover and explore. And it can be anyone. It can be someone you've long admired or someone you've recently discovered. So who would that one photographer be and why? Oh, God, one. Shoot. I mean, I mentioned George Picari, and I don't see his him. I don't see his stuff lately that's going, but there's a guy named Levi Kun. Levi Crun. Is that it? Do you know that guy? No, no. The, the name's not Oh, oh Okay. Then I think, then can you, yeah, can I, oh shoot, I wish I could remember how to say his name. He's, he's awesome. He shoots from a car with a flash, usually digital, um, but it's got a real film quality to the uh, processing and, um, and he shoots all around LA. Oh, okay. So, so it, it's got, oh man, it's, and, and when we've been emailing back and forth and, and one thing I like he uses is that red line of the curb, right? With the, that where you're not supposed to stop. Right. right uh -huh. um, and, and so that's like a feature that you can work with or you have to in street photography sometimes. Right. And so how do you use that? And so he kind of developed this way that was similar to the way I use it a lot. And I don't know if a lot of other people use it, but it's like a color street photography thing where you get this band of red across the bottom of the picture and, and it acts, adds a nice unifying thing across a variety of work. And so, um, God, can I can I send you his um, details? Yeah, and, yeah, after I, the interview. Yeah, and then I'll put it in put it in the show notes. Yeah, put it in the show notes because because I think he'd be a good one. Him and him and George Bakari. I don't want to use two two people, but uh, but I think they're both really interesting. And where can people go to find your stuff? My stuff. You go to I use uh, Mudstone Photo at uh, uh, at Tumblr, and then the other one is I actually have a Mudstone Photo um, dot com 
uh, site too. Um, that that I think is not the preferred way to look at my images. I think the Tumblr is way better. Cool. Well, thank you, man. Thanks for, for taking the time to talk with me. It's right. a pleasure. I'm so grateful to you. This has been great, and I do hope people listen to it, and uh, I hope I wasn't too embarrassing myself, and uh, people enjoy it. Thank you. Thanks again for joining me. To access our complete archive of interviews, download the free Candid Frame app, available for Apple iOS, Android, and Windows 8. Links for each can be found in the show notes and the website at thecandidframe.com. The Candid Frame audio engineer is Martin Taylor, who you can find at theothermartintaylor.com, and our music is from Kevin McLeod, whose royalty-free music can be found at incompetech.com. The Candid Frame is a member of TWIP, a network of photo-related podcasts. You can find more great shows on your favorite topic by visiting thisweekinphoto.com. And this is Ibarian X, and this is The Candid Frame.